This morning is Jesus' silence in his suffering. Jesus' silence in his suffering. It was prophesied in Isaiah 53, 7, which underlined for us that the suffering servant, the Messiah, the Christ, would be silent in his suffering. I want you to listen again to Isaiah 53, 7, and listen to how this prophetic statement regarding Christ's silence is underlined for us. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. One verse, three statements about Christ's silence, specifically his silence in the climax of his suffering. Isaiah 52 and 53 are about Christ's suffering. But verse 7 emphasizes that in the midst of this unimaginable suffering that the Messiah would endure, he would remain silent. He would be oppressed, he would be afflicted, led like a lamb to the slaughter, but he wouldn't open his mouth. And the gospel writers on multiple occasions record for us and highlight for us Christ's silence. They they are underlining for us that Christ was fulfilling Isaiah 53, 7. We read from Matthew 26 when Jesus is before the Sanhedrin. He's before the, the chief priests and the elders. And false witnesses are brought against him, and we read that the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And then in uh, Matthew 27, we read of Jesus before Pilate. And again, he, he is accused, and we read that he gave no answer. And Pilate said, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. It happened a third time. Luke 23, 9, Jesus is now before Herod. And Herod, we read, questioned him at some length, but he made No answer. We find it happens again. John 19, verse 9. Jesus now has been brought back from Herod, back to Pilate. He's been flogged, and Pilate, we read, enters his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. He was silent. He fulfilled Isaiah 53, 7. He opened not his mouth. He was silent in his suffering. 
And the fact that Isaiah prophesied it, and that the gospel writers all emphasize it, it tells us that Christ's silence was essential to our salvation. And it is out of the ordinary, isn't it? We kind of, you can get that sense of the reactions to Jesus. Matthew tells us that Pilate was greatly amazed at Jesus' silence. We hear his accuser saying, have you no answer? When people are facing accusations and they're threatened with punishment, they speak. They defend themselves. Kids, there's, there's enough Cali kids where I'm sure this happens in your household. But imagine if your brother or sister or one of your friends maybe did something very bad and your mom and dad think you did it. And they threaten you. Say, so you're in trouble. You're going to be disciplined. You're going to be grounded. What would you do? You didn't do it. What would you do? You would speak. You would defend yourself. You would say, Mom, Dad, I did. It wasn't me. I'm innocent. Well, I think for the, even the adults here, if we were in a similar situation, we would speak. But Christ, who never did anything wrong, when he was accused and threatened with death, kept his mouth closed. Oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. And I would submit to you this morning that his silence is striking, it is significant, it is essential to our salvation. And so I want us to think this morning about his silence, specifically why he was silent in the face of his suffering. Why at the, the pinnacle of his passion, why when he, he was like a lamb being led to the slaughter, why did he not open his mouth? And we'll think of two reasons for that. And the first one was to establish his willingness. To establish his willingness. Friends, Jesus was a willing Savior. His work was a work that He willingly undertook for us. Again, when, when someone's on trial and they're threatened with punishment, they, they speak, and they speak, why? To escape that punishment. And if a person is falsely accused, they speak all the more passionately. And that's why Pilate is, is so amazed at Jesus' silence. He had never seen anyone behave like this before. Pilate had seen many accused criminals plead their case and make excuses and ask for mercy. But Jesus did none of that. And if you read between the lines in the gospel accounts, it's clear that Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent. He wanted to let him go. He, he, he declared three times, I find no fault in this man. 
Pilate was begging for Jesus to say something that would allow him to release him. But Jesus had come to die. And he would not say anything that would lead to his acquittal. And we know that the charges against Jesus were ridiculous. He he could have easily given a defense to Pilate that would have led to his freedom. He's he's the only human being because he's the God-man that would have had an airtight defense. But he came to die. And his silence demonstrated his willingness to go to the cross for you and me. And it reminds us that our Lord Jesus was not an unwilling victim. He said to those who were opposing him in John 10, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus' death was a willing death, and part of him being a willing Savior meant He had to be a willing sacrifice. To atone for sin, Jesus had to be the willing sacrifice. The essence of sin is rebellion. Rebellion against God and His holy will. And how is sin then to be atoned for? It couldn't be atoned for by an animal that's not willing to die, an animal that had had no consciousness of why it was dying. Nor can sin be dealt with by punishment inflicted on an unwilling person or unwilling people. Friends, unbelievers in hell will suffer eternal punishment for their sin, but that punishment will not atone for one single sin. Here is the key point. And it was a key point that the Old Testament sacrifices underlined as they had what I like to call a built-in inadequacy to show that something, someone better was needed. And the point was only a sacrifice that is offered willingly can atone for sin. At the heart of sin is rebellious Will, and that means at the heart of atonement is the willing submission of Jesus Christ. Not only did Jesus have to die for our sins, but he had to willingly die for our sins. And it is actually reflected in the In the Hebrew of Isaiah 53, 7, it's uh, what's called a a, a reflexive uh, use of, of that language. It says, we could read it this way. 
He was oppressed, and he himself, he suffered himself to be afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. It's not victim language. It's the language of deliberate submission. He died willingly, and that's why he was, he was silent. Frederick Leahy said that Christ's silence was deliberate, emphatic, and authoritative. It was his deed. And Scripture underlines for us the, the willing submission of Christ in his death. Isaiah chapter 50, verses 5 and 6, Christ again speaks prophetically. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. A willing, submissive sacrifice. As Paul said, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so Christ was silent to establish that he was a willing Savior, that he was a willing sacrifice for sin, But then secondly, he opened not his mouth in order to enter his plea. To enter his plea. You see, by his silence, Jesus was pleading guilty for you and for me. Even though he had done no wrong, committed no sin... He entered his guilty plea as our substitute. Our Lord Jesus, the one who was perfectly innocent. If you read the Gospels, he was charged with two crimes. And these charges against him are are very significant. The first in his religious trial before the Sanhedrin, he's charged with what? With blasphemy. Matthew 26, 65 and 66, uh, the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do you need? You have now heard this blasphemy. What is your judgment? And they answered, he deserves death. That was the first charge, blasphemy. He They said that Christ deserved death because He made Himself equal with God. Because He put Himself on the same footing as God. But the second charge against Him was rebellion against authority, what we might call treason. Luke 23, 2 Uh, They take him before Pilate and 
Again, they recognize this is a civil ruler, and so they try to give a, bring a charge that would stick. They began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. They were accusing him of rebellion against Rome's authority, treason, putting himself in the king's place. And these are the two main charges against Jesus, blasphemy, rebellion against authority, or treason. Now we know that these were absurd, unfounded charges, Jesus was equal with God. He is equal with God. He never encouraged earthly rebellion, and he was and is the king. Why does he stay silent in the face of such charges? He did so to plead guilty. To plead guilty to these charges because all the way back in the Garden in Eden, Adam and Eve, our first parents, were guilty of two fundamental sins. Blasphemy and rebellion or treason. And every human being born after them are guilty of the same sins. Adam and Eve committed blasphemy. They, they made themselves like God. That was the temptation that was given into. Genesis 3, 5, the serpent tempted Eve with this. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. They tried to make themselves like God. God. They were also guilty of rebellion against the authority of the Lord, their king. Genesis 3, 17, God said to Adam, Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you? You shall not eat of it. They committed treason. They betrayed their king and allied themselves with the serpent. Blasphemy and rebellion. And now the last Adam, Jesus Christ, stands before the judgment seat and he answers the charges that should have been brought against Adam and Eve and all of us. And he pled guilty for us. He opened not his mouth that he might plead guilty in our place. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says of Christ that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of of God in him. He who knew no sin became sin for us 
He pled guilty for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. John Calvin, writing of Christ's silence, wrote this. He said, there was, this was the reason of His silence at the judgment seat of Pilate. Though He had a just defense to offer, for having become answerable for our guilt, he wished to submit silently to the sentence that we might loudly glory in the righteousness of faith obtained through free grace. Having become answerable for our guilt, he wished to submit silently to the charged with your sin and mine, and he opened not his mouth. It was part of his work as our substitute. And the substitutionary nature of Christ's death was underlined again in Isaiah 53. In fact, the verses that come before and after verse 7 speak of the substitutionary nature of Christ's death. Verse 6, the Lord has laid upon Him the iniquity of us all. He was innocent. He pled guilty. Verse 8, He was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of My people. Jesus pled guilty for your sin and mine, and He did it with a deliberate willingness. Friends, each and every one of us is guilty. But our Savior so loved us that He stood in our place and pled guilty for us. Commentator F.C. Jennings wrote this of Christ's silence. That strange acceptance of unjust sufferings without a whisper of protest is as attractive as it is, to, as it is compelling to responsive affection. And it is an important, a vital, basic element in the whole plan of atonement. For had there been one whisper of protest, have denied the voluntariness of his offering. Instead of noisy protest, with which Pilate's office had made him so familiar, there sat before him a man with that terrifying death threatening him, yet calm and silent, a man whose very presence spoke with convicting eloquence, while his lips never uttered a word. Never was there such eloquence in silence. Never was there such eloquence in silence. Have we ever thought about that? That Christ's silence meant our salvation. 
And in that, we have an eloquent expression of the Savior's love for us. He wasn't coerced. He wasn't forced. He willingly died for us. He willingly stood in our place and pled guilty. He opened not His mouth for you. But our exalted Savior is no longer silent. He is now our advocate before God, our great high priest, and He always has His mouth open in our defense. He is the one who opens His mouth to make continual intercession for us. He is the one who pleads our case before the throne of God. He opened not his mouth. And friends, I pray that we might meditate upon this and see the great, amazing love of our Savior and maybe in a different way than Pilate, but be amazed that our Savior would so love us that he would stay silent to plead guilty for us. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your Son, the one who became the suffering servant for us. We thank you that he was a willing sacrifice for our sins. Thank you that he has pled guilty on our behalf and because of that, Our sins have been removed as far as east is from west. Lord, may we meditate on our Savior's substitutionary work and may we see His love and may we bring love for Him and and gratitude and worship. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for His glory. Amen.